Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year! We are back at it with our short-form Friday roundup of my favorite art history updates and interesting news tidbits. This is Art Curious News This Week, and this gets you up to date on some of the latest goings-on in the realm of art history. I am your host, Jennifer Dassel, and one of my resolutions this year is to bring you this news show more frequently. So let's do it. Today is Friday, January 13th, 2023. And this past week has been full of levity as well as some serious allegations and questions. First off, my art community was abuzz after the New York Times published an article about the firing of an adjunct professor from Hamlin University, a small liberal arts college in St. Paul, Minnesota. Earlier last fall, the adjunct, who was teaching a global art history class online, displayed a 14th century image of the prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam. This work is considered to be, in the words of one historian of Islamic art, a, quote, masterpiece of Persian manuscript painting, unquote. And it is now part of the collection of the University of Edinburgh in Scotland, a prize work of medieval art that has been displayed and published about many times over. However, to many Muslims, the visual representation of the Prophet is absolutely forbidden. This is a subject that I touch on very briefly in my book, Art Curious, by the by. And some consider the professor's decision to include this image and another 16th century representation of the Prophet to be disrespectful and Islamophobic, with some even referring to the act as a kind of hate crime. After the professor was reported to campus authorities by at least one student, the university opted to sever the adjunct's teaching contract. And this has been huge news. Why? Because it is a tricky story that deals with all kinds of big, thorny issues. Things like academic freedom, freedom of speech, religious tolerance, religious sanctity, the widening of the so-called canon of art history, and so much more. It also backs into the all-too-true fact that adjunct professors are seen as super disposable in the realm of higher ed. And not only can they lose their jobs at any time and practically for any reason, but they are also very lowly paid. It is also a story made even trickier once you learn of some of the preparation that went into the showcasing of these images of Muhammad that the professor acknowledged her aim to show these works on her written syllabus at the beginning of the academic semester, that she asked students to be in touch with her in advance to discuss any concerns, that on the day of the incendiary lecture, she provided a two-minute warning so that those who felt that her inclusion of these works to be sacrilegious could look away, exit the lecture, and so forth. Was this warning enough? What could or would be an appropriate amount of warning? I want to note here that I am all for free speech and all for acceptance and tolerance in any and every form, but it's difficult to understand where the line can be drawn between safety and personal expression 
and academic integrity and freedom. And I confess that I can see both sides, and I have no true answers to share. I do know that organizations across the U.S., including the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, are calling upon Hamlin to reinstate the professor. Others, though, are quick to villainize her, or Hamlin, or the student who came forward with the original complaint. There really seems to be no winners here, and that is incredibly frustrating. One of my favorite responses to the matter, though, weighs culpability on every side. In a letter to the New York Times, Michael Rigsby of New Haven, Connecticut, writes, quote, In the rush to identify villains and heroes, we lose sight of the complicated possibility that, A, the professor was justified and well-intentioned, and B, the student was nevertheless genuinely offended by the professor's decision to show this image. Or that A, the professor gave opt-out options in advance, but B, the student didn't feel empowered to exercise them fully. If the university had begun with a presumption that all of these things were simultaneously true and had attempted to find a better conflict resolution process along the lines of restorative justice, both the student and the professor might have felt that they had benefited from the conflict, unquote. If you would like to read Rigsby's letter in full, as well as the entire New York Times article and other opinion pieces, those are linked today in your podcast show notes and on the blog for today's episode, artcuriouspodcast.com. Next up, we have two stories about museum collections, one positive and one potentially concerning. First up, the good news. The Frick Collection in New York City announced this week that they recently acquired the very first Renaissance portrait of a woman in the institution's nearly century-long public history. The Frick, established via a bequest from the industrialist Henry Clay Frick, boasts an incredible and incredibly beautiful collection of European paintings, sculptures, works on paper, and decorative arts. But until recently... Their lauded Renaissance collection drew attention for the portraits of men that hung there by artists like Tintoretto and Titian. But portraits of women from the Renaissance? Not one could be found in the Frick's holdings. That changed late last year when Portrait of a Woman by the Italian painter Giovanni Battista Moroni entered the collection as a gift from a former trustee. Portrait of a Woman, which dates from around 1575, shows us a lady in a gorgeous pink and gold brocade top, a pristine white neck ruff, and she's bedecked in all manner of gold and pearls, in earrings, a large necklace, and even adorning her hair. She gazes out to us viewers with a calm, almost insouciant look, and she's a stunning sight. She was the star of an exhibition dedicated to the artist Moroni that was held at the Frick in 2019, so the addition of the work to the museum's permanent collection feels almost like a homecoming. She officially went on view at the Frick's temporary Madison Avenue location yesterday, January 12th. So if you are in the New York area, definitely go check out this gorgeous edition. And remember that the Frick offers pay-what-you-wish admission every Thursday afternoon from 4 to 6 p.m. Hint, hint. Now for museum collection news that is drawing more questions, and that's the concern over the authenticity of some artifacts currently in the collection of British singer Phil Collins, 
which have been promised to a soon-to-be-completed museum dedicated to the Battle of the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas. The Battle of the Alamo, by the way, was a 13-day siege that proved to be central in the so-called Texas Revolution. The singer Phil Collins originally agreed to give his collection of items about 10 years ago, but now that the as-yet-unnamed Alamo-centric museum is approaching completion, scholars have started to get a little anxious. As a collector, Collins has been working for the past three decades and has amassed everything from weapons and ammunition to ephemera like a receipt for the purchase of a horse, saddle, and bridle. Collins even documented his process in a 2012 book titled The Alamo and Beyond, A Collector's Journey, noting that his collection was formed from a mix of archaeological excavation, some of which was completed at the singer's behest and with his funding, as well as from purchases from dealers. But recently, some historians, most notably Brian Burroughs, Jason Stanford, and Chris Tomlinson, the authors of the 2021 book Forget the Alamo, The Rise and Fall of an American Myth, have called some of Collins' items into question as so-called deceptive pieces. While Collins himself has not commented upon the allegations of inauthenticity directly, the Alamo senior curator Ernesto Rodriguez told the art newspaper that these pieces still hold value. Rodriguez says, quote, There were a few items with provenance issues, but those will help us tell a different side of the Alamo story. Unfortunately, people are focusing on a couple of items and making the entire Collins collection seem invalid. The collection not only tells the story of the Texas Revolution, but also about how people collect and the perils of collecting. Unquote. To be fair, Rodriguez is right on this account. This is a problem that isn't limited to Alamo artifacts, but is one that has created massive issues for collecting across the board, affecting everything from Native American artifacts to ancient Greco-Roman goods to contemporary painting and far beyond. Provenance gaps and object history and counterfeiting is an ongoing scourge. And this, this is just the latest example. Let's take a little break before we get back to more Art Curious news this week. So please support me and the show by listening to a couple of ads or join me over at Patreon to support the show ad-free for the price of a latte over at patreon.com slash artcurious. We will be right back. So thanks for listening. Or perhaps I should say, thanks a latte. Ugh, sorry. The new year is here, and I am committed to kicking it off right by finding small ways to help me look and feel my best. Taking care of my skin is a huge part of my commitment to self-love and self-care, and that is why I am excited to partner with Apostrophe, the sponsor of today's episode. Whether you are dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe's mission is to empower you and help you feel confident and comfortable in the skin you're in. Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized acne treatment for your unique skin. Through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne. You simply fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and your medical history, then snap a few selfies, and a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. 
Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne too, from hormonal acne to facial acne and even back, chest, and butt acne. As someone who has experienced her share of adult skin issues, I am happy to note that Apostrophe can be a game changer for me in my skincare goals. Getting something that is tailored specifically to me and my unique needs is priceless. And the fact that I can do it all from the comfort of my own home without even dashing off to a pharmacy is huge. And I bet it can make a difference for you, too. We have a special deal for our audience. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash artcurious when you use our code artcurious. That is a savings of $15. And this code is available only to our listeners. To get started, go to apostrophe.com slash artcurious and click get started. Then use our code artcurious at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you to Apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. Support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. What better way to kick off the new year than with a much-needed home refresh, featuring new handcrafted furniture and home decor from Jenny Kane. You can make any home your dream home with Jenny Kane's timeless and ultra-cozy pieces. Shopping for home decor can be so stressful and time-consuming, but Jenny Kane has the elevated style and quality that you've been looking for. From throws and pillows to beds and nightstands, Jenny Kane's products are always worth the investment and truly built to last forever. I've spoken previously on this podcast about self-care and my resolutions to have a healthier and happier life. And for me, that is equally about upgrading and elevating the space around me. I splurged on some gorgeous Turkish towels that complete that spa-like feel that I want in my bathroom. These towels are plush without being overly thick, and they are ultra-absorbent at the same time. They look great both here at home and will also look amazing on vacation for a dash of poolside glamour. They are known for their pillows and throws, from linen to alpaca to super soft cashmere. Their handcrafted textiles are versatile, durable, and perfect for a sofa update, bedroom refresh, or simple accented addition. And that is not all. Jenny Kane is also California-inspired candles that are hand-poured in Los Angeles. They are kitchen standards and serving wear matched to both awe and stand the test of time. And to complete your home oasis, you can also check out their larger pieces like their Pacific bed, sofas, chairs, and more, all fashioned from the highest quality materials. To get the best discount on large pieces, be sure to sign up for their home membership program. So whether you're restyling your tabletop, your bedroom, or embarking on a full-on remodel, your home shopping should always start with Jenny Kane. Find your forever decor pieces with our exclusive 15% off discount. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code ARTCURIOUS to get 15% off. Find your forever pieces at JennyKane.com home. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com slash home, promo code ARTCURIOUS. New year, new me, and new home with Jenny Kane. Welcome back to ARTCURIOUS and our news this week. For our last couple of stories today, let's bring the silly. First up, it was a moment where even the art world elite proves that they can be fooled by contemporary art. So, celebrities, they're just like us! In a celebration of the artist Anne Imhoff in the Financial Times recently, artist Marina Abramovich revealed that on a visit to Amsterdam's Stedelijk Museum, she found herself flustered after arriving seven minutes late to view Imhoff's latest exhibition. After being hastened through a staff entrance, 
She wrote, quote, I found myself in front of a wall of industrial lockers, and my first reaction was to put inside the heavy bag I was carrying. I felt someone touch my shoulder. This is the work of Anne Imhoff, they whispered. Here is where the exhibition starts, unquote. So Marina Abramovich thought she was using a locker and instead was putting her bag into a work of art. I love stories like this of people being fooled by art. And this is something that actually has long roots in art history dating back to even the ancient Greeks. And I covered this in a past episode of Art Curious News this week when I discussed the sculpture of American artist Mark Jenkins that passersby believed to be a woman in some kind of emotional or medical distress. It is always a little reminder to me of the power of art, that it can bring us joy or move us to tears and occasionally confuse and deceive us. And it is also a nice reminder that even the great Marina Abramovich, an art goddess herself, can be fooled by art. One last story, and one that harkens back to even the very first episode of Art Curious. A few days ago, a TikTok user posted a video of police cars zooming by the Arc de Triomphe, atop which they overlaid text reading, and I quote, POV, you're in Paris when the Mona Lisa has been stolen, unquote. And yes, your, in this case, was misspelled based on its grammar and usage, but that is not important to the story today. What is important is that this was a prank, with the TikToker claiming in additional videos, quote, The Mona Lisa is gone. We spoke to the staff here, meaning the Louvre, and they can't say anything, unquote. Okay, so it is not the most hilarious or original of jokes and pranks, but the TikTok went viral. And according to Art News, it has been viewed more than 9 million times as of this recording. And some of the viewers went so far to believe that this was true, and it led to this strange surge of confusion as to the condition and whereabouts of the work of art. Now, rest assured, the Mona Lisa is still on the wall of the Louvre. But as ridiculous as it may seem, in a year in which art has been under attack by climate protesters and the Mona Lisa herself was caught up in the action when she was smeared with cake, there is a sense that almost anything is possible at this point. But the theft, the actual theft of the Mona Lisa, I am going to go out on a limb here and say that that is almost entirely impossible at this particular junction in history. That is all that I have for you today, everyone. Thank you for listening to Art Curious News this week. We are finishing up with our current season from Breaking Barriers, Women Artists in Renaissance Europe at the end of this month. But I will continue to come back to you every week for the foreseeable future with more Art Curious News this week. And of course, we will come up with a new season in the spring. In the meantime, you know that I have lots of great stuff coming down the pike this year, including our amazing trip to the Netherlands with Like Minds Travel in celebration of the largest Vermeer exhibition in history. And as of this recording, I believe we only have two or three spots left. So if you want to join us, do it now. Go to likemindstravel.com or check us out for all the details on my website, artcuriouspodcast.com. Until next week. Stay curious.